Kenny Karpov. Welcome to Detroit today. From far away, where are you right now? In Libya, actually. Um, about maybe 35, 40 miles outside of uh, the Libyan coast right now. So near the capital. Are you, are you on the ship right now or do you come back to shore? We're on the ship right now, actually. We uh, just did about three rescues earlier today. And uh, we just uh, disembarked them to an Italian warship who's going to take them to Italy. You know, tell me what the process of a rescue looks like. If you had three rescues, what does that mean? Or are they all different? Um, they're all different. I mean, usually uh, they use like a, uh, like a rubber tube, like a rubber boat. Sometimes it's a wooden boat. And, you know, usually they, they leave in the middle of the night, um, around like midnight, 1, 2, 3 a.m. And we... And then usually it's spotted on our radar, usually five, six a.m. And then and then we dis and then we deploy one of our R RFDCs, which is like a little responder boat that goes into the water and approaches the refugee boat and distributes life life vests first. And but I mean it's I mean it's dark and some of the times you know a lot of the people have been you know really dehydrated or they're you know in, inhaling a lot of. Uh, like just like really nasty gasoline, which which is really awful because usually it'll, it'll just sit in the boat, and when it mixes with the salt water, it can create some really just awful, awful burns on the body, and it can kill you. I mean, like we encountered that actually last week. We encountered about five rafts over the day, and it was our third rubber boat of the day, and there was about three to four dead bodies in the back, actually, that were asphyxiated from the fumes because it was that bad. Yeah. So, Kenny, the, do most of the people who are in these boats, do they expect that they will be discovered by a rescue vessel that you're on, or are they hoping to make it to land somewhere else? Or is it just sort of an unknown that they they just know that they want to go somewhere that isn't where they are, and they don't know what that thing's going to look like yet? Well, I think the p plan for them, um, you know, they disembark at night, like I said, uh, around like midnight, 1 a.m., and they're hoping to make it to Sicily. That's the area. That's the area where they're welcoming the migrants and refugees currently. But that would take hours and hours. So it's, it's these NGOs that are out here that we try and rescue them in, in the middle of the Mediterranean, pretty much, or in the the Libyan coast, coastal area. Um, we'll try and rescue them. But usually, um, if the Libyan uh, Coast Guard sees, like, spots where we're boat that is leaving, they will bring them back and jail the people in there on just made-up charges. And they're imprisoned for, for months or years on end. But usually, I think the idea is they want to make it to Italy, but usually with the water especially now in September it's it's getting really rough it's getting it's getting colder so so with the NGOs like they they really have a task at hand i mean cuz usually when there's a calm day you'll see about 15 like boats out there in the middle of the mediterranean and there's maybe 6 7 NGOs working in that area so we so we'll we'll bring them on board and the company that I'm currently working for, Moez, right now, we we have the capacity to bring on a little over 300 people, um, and we're one of the few ships that can disembark in Italy 
so we can pick them up here and then it's about a day and a half to Sicily and then we dock at one of the ports there and then they're processed but but even then I mean it's a struggle for them because that process of asylum could take anywhere from weeks to months to years and usually if your country is not at war they will send you right back but if but if you're from Libya or Syria you have a better chance of getting asylum where places like Nigeria um, West Africa it's it's really hard um, they pretty much send them right back well you spoke with a, a teenager Ibrahim who sort of was making this leap of faith that there was something better that was going to await him so he could provide for his family I'm just I'm curious if people like him when they get on these boats also understand that even though they're making this leap of faith that there are these sort of intangible dangers that, or hurdles that they're going to have to cross, whether or not it's noxious gas that they're going to be breathing in that could kill them, or the waves are getting rougher, or they'll be deported back to uh, their country of origin. Like, are they sort of aware that there are there's this litany of, of potential pitfalls that are standing in their way? I think some of them are, are very aware of the pitfalls um, that, they, that they're risking, Doing this route from pretty much Tripoli to Italy, I mean, it's a very, very dangerous route, and a lot of a lot of boats would not even make it. I mean, these are these are literally like blow like blown up tubes, rafts that fit maybe a hundred people, and sometimes there's four hundred people crammed on there with like luggage, no life vests. But the ones that we've encountered so far, since I've been out here for uh, for two months is mainly anywhere from 100 to about 200 uh, we've encountered. And usually the 200, I mean, our very first one we encountered, actually, um, one of the tubes burst, and a bunch of the people fell into the water, and, and I mean, and none of them could swim. So they were, they were you know, grabbing onto anything they could hold onto, um, like our boat, um, the responder boat as well. We had, we deployed divers, into the water who actually ended up getting sick from the fumes and 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 becoming unconscious actually and we lost uh, a couple people that day from the boats just because of the noxious fumes but i think you know you have that in their way and you also have you know the libyan coast guard who will you know pretty much you know track you down and, and bring you back and there's the treacherous you know mediterranean which you know is not safe and you got the weather as well with the changing of the seasons. And a lot of these people don't, don't know that if they're, if they're not coming from a war-torn country, they will be sent back. A lot of them do not know that. A lot of the, lot of the Libyans and Syrians know that, actually. And that's why they make um, their journey. It, it's, much, it's much easier for them from Syria to Libya where if you're coming from West Africa. I mean, that's a journey in itself. And they're escaping, you know, poverty and, and, you know, crime. And, you know, there's just everything out there. It's horrible. So, uh, Kenny, you're doing something out there that has actually drawn the world sort of into this crisis because we are living what's going on on these waters through single photographs that are coming across. And some of the most powerful images that we've seen in general, have been of children who have died because of this um, passage. And I think 
we can't not think of this humanitarian crisis and not think of the children involved. How many children are you seeing among these boats and, and how big of a problem is the actual transportation of small children who can't defend themselves and whose parents are trying to protect themselves and the kids at the same time? It's, I mean, it's, it's quite dangerous, actually. I remember we approached um, a larger wooden boat and some of the women were actually holding their babies, like newborns, up in the air, like literally with one hand holding up in the air to let us know that there are babies on board, which is a risk in itself because the, you know, the, um, the waters are so choppy that, you know, you could fall in any time, the tube could break, anything could happen. But usually, from what I've seen so far, it's anywhere from, you know, one or two, like, small infants to, like, like 10 or 12 infants to, to kids on board. What is going into entire families getting on boats. I, you know, you've seen lots of pictures. We've seen lots of pictures from you that there's clearly lots of young men who are making. I'm assuming trying to find a better way for families that they're leaving behind. I could be inaccurate about that. But what is driving families to boats? So far, we've encountered a lot of Syrian families um, escaping the war. And, you know, they've heard from relatives or friends of friends that, you know, that Libya is a safer place. And once they get there, they find out it is not uh, a safe place. It's a very war-torn country. Um, I, I spoke to a woman a couple days ago, actually, and she said her and her family paid about 1,400 uh, dinar, um, which is the Libyan currency, which is roughly about a little over 1,000 euro. Um, and they paid her fisherman. And he brought them down to the coast he put them into a boat. They waited about eight to nine hours um, on the sea, and uh, and then they were all led out. It, I mean, like it was, it was like a zoo. Like um, you know, there was like nine or ten boats. She said, like leaving from Tripoli, which is the capital of Libya, and they were just all all sent out pretty much, like on mark, and. And from what she told me, you know, like she she had a really good life. In Syria, um, she was a tailor, and then the war started, and then you know she moved her family, and she actually had one other. She had she had her most recent son born in Libya, and she was telling me that her daughter, she was forced into like like sex and sexual harassment, sexual violence herself. She was forced into sexual violence. The men will work, you know, two three days without pay, and then they'll work one day with pay. Um, but usually there's, you know, some sort of criminal activity or a, or a Libyan police officer waiting for them. And then they will rob them and, and beat them pretty much. Or they will follow them to their home and they'll rob them inside their house. They'll take all their belongings, all their money, just because they can. I mean, I mean Libya has no government right now. It is, it is pr- pretty much a militia country um, from what I've been told by pretty much everyone I've come across, um, anyone from Syria um, to South Sudan, um, who have spent anywhere from five days to five months to five years. They have been, in, been imprisoned, um, you know, three, four, five times because their families, um, you know, will not pay up because the Libyans will kidnap them. And they'll tell them if their family pays up, you are allowed to go. And they'll starve them, and they'll beat them, and they pretty much die in prison. Um, but I've, I've met a couple 
couple young young guys, about 15 or 16 years old, and they were imprisoned for a good five or six months, and and they escaped. Actually, um, they broke out, and they found out where the boats were leaving, and they took that risk because a lot of them said they want to send money back home to their to their families, to their loved ones, uh, girlfriend, wife, um, and they want a better future for themselves, and they see that future as Italy or somewhere else in Europe. I wanted to know how seeing this sort of tragedy on this scale has has impacted you. I mean, you have now encountered and been a witness to the deaths of multiple people who are in desperate, desperate circumstances. And I just wonder, as a photographer, how that affects you. I mean, going into this, I, I wasn't really affected by anything. I photographed a, a lot of different aspects of like underground subcultures, drugs, violence uh, prior to this. So that sort of woke me up um, and, and definitely gave me the experience to come out here and, and want to do this. But for me, I wanted to come out here and, and just tell the story of, of, you know, NGOs, humans saving humans and just get that across. I feel in the U.S. we have turned a major blind eye to what's really going on here, the tragedy that's happening in these waters every single day. Like I was saying, you know, there's 15 to 20 boats leaving every single night hoping for a better future. And, you know, we're, we're not looking at the larger picture here of like what's happening to these families and, and what they're risking. And I want to tell that story. Like, that's why I'm here. I want to, I want to be able to record these stories and photograph these men and women and bring these stories back and, and, and explain, you know, why they're risking their lives for a better future. 